Hey Life Kin, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. If you're a returning visitor, welcome back. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. Be sure to like, subscribe, follow so you can hear more of what we put out. Not just sermons, but uh, extra stuff like uh, staff interviews. We have another one of those come out in the next day or two. Uh, but also, if you want to participate in what God is doing in this church and in this community, and, and there's so much that he is up to and, and more is to come, uh, we truly believe that with our 10-year vision and, and everything that we're going after. Uh, but if you want to participate in that activity, be sure to give, uh, to give financially to the mission and, and what God is up to. Do that at lifechurchcanton.org forward slash give. Um, but be sure to take, uh, to take advantage of that opportunity. Today we are in week five of our Cross Equals Love series. Uh, this time around, we do this series every year where we talk about the uh, experience and, and sharing of the love of Jesus through the cross. Uh, and this time around, we're talking about what it looks like to serve other people, um, specific people in our community, in our church. Uh, today, Pastor Nathan is going to tell us a little bit more about that. He's going to talk about hospitality. I think it's going to be a great message, and, and I'm sure there's some some things, some thoughts you're going to get from it. Uh, so. I'll catch up with you in a minute. Give that a listen. You guys give it up for God and what he's doing in this place. Well, he's not done yet. I think he's going to be moving in your hearts. I'm so grateful that you are here. And if you feel like you're experiencing something you've never experienced before, pay attention because God is speaking to you and he has a message of love and transformation. I'm grateful that you are here, and uh, I know there's quite a few people, it's your first time, so welcome. We want to encounter Jesus, and when he shows up, we pay attention, because we know that if you interact with Jesus Christ, and you know him, you come away changed, and that's the greatest thing we could do, is help you know Jesus Christ. So thanks for being here. My name's Nathan, I'm one of the pastors, and I am excited to see what God is going to do in you, as you reclaim your identity in Jesus and bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. Amen. You give it up for God one more time, and then you, you can have a seat if you want to. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you for being here. Um, you are in for a treat because uh, first service went amazing. Uh, it was an empowerful encounter at the end, so I can't wait for you to experience that. We're in a series called Cross Equals Love. And it's, it's a torture device, but it means love because of what Jesus did. Now, I'm already turning my eyes towards Easter, and I don't know about you, but we're going to be celebrating like crazy uh, what Jesus Christ has done, that he has risen. And so I want you to be thinking about who you are going to invite. Our times will be 9, 30, and 11 like normal, and we're going to add a 12, 30. And I want you to be thinking about who you're going to bring with you, to come with you, to experience a message about the love of Jesus Christ. Today, as we continue our series, I want to talk about hospitality, but I'm going to do it in a way that's a little bit different, a little bit different style uh, than what we normally do. I want to tell you three stories uh, about my life and how I have experienced the love of God. Uh, so here's the first uh, little snippet. Uh, one morning at 3 p.m., I woke up in a room I didn't recognize to a tapping on my bedroom door. Uh, in my disoriented haze at 3 o'clock in the morning, I remembered that I had moved into a brand new apartment that morning. The light was streaming under my door as my friend and new roommate said in a small voice, Nathan, could you please come out here? As I walked out, 
the lights uh, were bright, and I remember just squinting and trying to figure out what was going on as I walked into a common room with a police officer in the room already and watching as my friend's boyfriend is throwing every single thing he owns into the street. And I am asking myself, what did I just get myself into? Second one, planting a new church in a new town. I have an amazing youth ministry leader and an entire extended family who are big in the community. But they have just melted down and engaged in a campaign of gossip that was incredibly hurtful and have left the church. Okay? No big deal. Except I had just signed a contract to buy one of their houses so we can move into this new town to plant a church. And I will, if I continue to live there, I will now live on the street with all of the families who now greatly dislike me. What happens next? The phone rings, and they're sobbing on the other end. A neighbor can barely speak as she's hysterically crying. And I make out in between her crying that her army vet 30-year-old brother has just died in a helicopter crash. I run over to their home and walk in to a family with children who have just lost a brother and an uncle. What do I do? Luke 10, 27. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, he gives him two because Jesus, Jesus doesn't play by the rules. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to keep that command in mind when we talk about hospitality. Hospitality. What do you think of when you hear the word hospitality? Do you think of a hotel and the hospitality suite? What do you think of? Well, hospitality in our culture is often referred to as a, a dinner party, a hosting of a meal, party favors, and it always is preceded by the one time you really clean your house, right? <laughs> At least that's me. You know, in our culture, it's defined as a friendly and generous reception and entertainment of visitors and guests or even strangers. But hospitality, this word, it does not reflect well, and it's kind of weak in regards to what hospitality was in the ancient times. We can go on and on about it. It's incredibly important. And hospitality seems to come short of what the cross demands of us, those who follow him. The cross equals love. This is great sacrifice, great pain, great suffering. It's hard to connect that with hospitality. I mean, if you're an introvert, you might suffer just having people over. I get it. That's not me. I'm an extrovert. I love people, so it feels good. But what, when you think about the cross equals love and hospitality, and you, what, what does that mean? What, what does a cross-shaped life look like? So the question is, what is cross-shaped hospitality? You see, the cross demands for the generous and gracious, gracious treatment of those in need which is what true hospitality is. The practice in ancient times was actually made to care for the stranger, the one who didn't have enough in their midst. So let me explain this to you. I think of hospitality as more of a pursuit of people 
than it is a place setting. Hospitality in the, in the ancient times, but also as a Christian, is more of a pursuit of people than it is a place setting you put out for a party. In fact, one scholar said this, we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after, to look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. This is the relentless pursuit of one more. You can hear that in there. So today I'm going to explain these three stories and tell you three stories of Jesus. And there's a reason I want you to do that, because I want you to see yourself in this story. I want you to make your own story of loving kindness, a love for your neighbor. I want you to live stories like these, that you adopt a cross-shaped life, that you will love like Jesus, because then you get to see the world change and be part of it then you will see that when we say hospitality in a modern America, we're really just talking about the first step of pursuit of people, people that Jesus would go after. This is torch-bearing, and you'll see more what this looks like. This is what it means to shine a light. So I'll tell you about that first story. So right before I got married, uh, we were like in between leases, meaning like my lease was done, uh, so was hers, and then we were going to get an apartment, uh, so we got the apartment, she stayed in it, and then I had to find this place in between. It's an awkward thing when you rent. Um, and Roger wanted me to clarify when I preached this on Wednesday. He's like, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, no, no, tell people why you did that. Tell my students, tell my young adults, tell my single people why you did that. I said, oh, okay. Well, the reason why we did that is because God has called all of us to protect the sanctity of marriage, and that means not having sex before marriage. And so to honor that, Jenna and I didn't do that, but we also decided that it would have been a very bad idea to live together before marriage. I mean, that's just, statistically, if you romantically love someone and you live in the same house as them, um, then it leads to sex. I, I don't know if it blew your mind on that one, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's what happens. Um, so if you need to talk to your to your friends about that, or your kids about that, friends about that, that'd be weird. <laughs> so I had to find a place to stay. So I reached out to a friend, um, and I had met in high school who had an opening in his apartment, and he and his boyfriend and had another roommate, but they had an available room, and they'd love for, uh, for me to come for a short period of time. I'm like, this is perfect. So I took him up on that offer. But the night that I moved in, my friend and his boyfriend got into a huge fight, and my friend was kicked out because he didn't, his name wasn't on the lease. So he's gone. And I'm standing there watching this all happen, and I'm folding from my eyes, and now I'm, I'm like going, what am I supposed to do? You know, the, the guy who's real gracious to me, the boyfriend, he says, Nathan, you can still stay here. It's fine. We'll talk about it in the morning. And so I go back into my room at about 4 or 15 and lay on the bed staring at the ceiling. And I have this question, what did I get myself into? Because now I'm staying with complete strangers. What did I get myself into? And I'm honest, I had a struggle in that moment. I went back and forth all night. I didn't sleep about what I was going to do. I mean, I was already uncomfortable. If you didn't catch by the terms I was using that I was living with all gay men. And so I was like, I was already uncomfortable with that. I didn't 
know my place, what to do, how to act. I, I felt awkward in that. I, you know, I had people who didn't approve. I had others who couldn't understand why I simply wouldn't move into the apartment I was sharing the costs with, with my fiancé, but instead was considering moving here. And, and now it got even harder because now my friend's not there. But I prayed and I made a choice to stay. And I stayed. And for that short period of time in my life, <laughs> it was unique. I was only the straight person in the room. They got another uh, uh, gay man who came in and, and lived, and we all lived together. We went to dinner. We had parties. We did chores together. I walked their dogs. They taught me how to cook. Got to hang out. I lived life with those who were completely different than me. Those I had been taught, whether by word or by action, that they were other. Even degenerates were not as good because of their sexual choices and actions and attractions. Those that at the time was even worse, society treated poorly. And I got to live life with them and talk and learn about their hearts and their pasts and their parents and their friends and their faith. I lived life with them. Even though I felt out of place, they made a place for me. And I learned about the love of Jesus Christ. The stories about Jesus started to become true. You know, the stories about how Jesus went to women who had been divorced five times at the well and who hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and unclean. That Jesus. And it made me think of Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. He was, because he was not, he was a traitor. All, not only did he, like, charge too much, he was a traitor to his own people. So, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today, which is scandalous. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this and began to mutter, listen, if you ever see in the Bible someone saying and begin to mutter, you know that they're about to say something bad, like something stupid <laughs> in regards to the gospel. And they said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look here, look, Lord, here and now I get half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love this story. We've turned it into a cute song, right? And so Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know, if you grew up in church. Nope, don't know that song? Okay. <laughs> it's not important. But we've kind of sterilized it. Jesus broke protocol with Zacchaeus. He broke the rules. That's why they were muttering, what? He's going to hang out with that guy? He's the worst. He's a sinner. He's going to make himself unclean. 
Jesus, he always did this. He turned Samaritans, the worst of the worst of the worst, into the heroes in his story. He let prostitutes wash his feet and anoint his feet with oil. Again and again and again, Jesus broke protocol. Then he gave Zacchaeus the greatest honor. This is, this is a big deal. See, back then, to say, I'm going to come to your house was not an imposition. It was honor. He's, he's walking around, and they're like, the teacher, the teacher, the big guy. This guy's big. This guy's important. It's, who's he going to stay with? I bet you there was a bunch of like Jewish ladies all out there with their casseroles or whatever the ancient equivalent was like. I can bake real good, come to our house. It was an honor, and they would get to spend time with Jesus. So when they picked Zacchaeus, who, by the way, ridiculous, up in a tree, picked him, he gave him a great honor to someone who was shameful. Jesus then endured the derision of others, the talking, the gossiping of others. And what was the result? True repentance and joy. And if you don't catch that, Great wealth got put back into the Jewish community. Powerful. Let me ask you a question. How'd you feel when I said that I chose to live in a house with gay men? Did that, did that stir emotions in you? Did you get uncomfortable? Maybe you, got a, you were like, oh, that's great. Maybe you felt weird. You don't know how to deal with that. Maybe you're like, I just want him to clarify what, what he means. I'm going to leave you with that. I just like asking questions to make you uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm going to speak for me. If I had not lived life with the other, then I would have missed something crucial about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' heart was with the broken. That is where he would be if he was here today, with the broken. He would be there. And I would have missed a part of that if we refuse to live life with the broken or the other, we will never know Jesus' heart. Because how can we know the heart of someone if we refuse to go where he went? And this is a hard, uncomfortable truth, and it's difficult. And it was hard for me, too. But because I did, I learned about Jesus' love for me and for them even more. I gained more of Jesus' heart, and I got to be Jesus. I'm telling you, I could not minister to the LGBTQ plus in our church today because you are here. I see you. And for those who don't notice that, they're here. I could not minister to our church and our community if I didn't have experiences like this where I had to learn to love like Jesus and to be present and to see people. I remember one time we were having this party and uh, we had like 30 people in a tiny space and we're all in the room and, and, I, and everyone in that room, every single one except me was gay um, or, or lesbian. And, uh, and it was, it was, we're having a good time. Everyone's is boisterous. We're having, uh, it was great. It was great. And then all of a sudden someone goes really loudly, said to me, Hey, Nathan, you're a Christian. What do you think about gay people? And then it was like in my heart, my heart just went, and then it was like a record had like, you know, and the music stopped. It didn't happen. It happened in my head. 
But I watched as all of these faces turned to me and everyone stopped talking because there's a lot of hurt there, isn't there? A lot of pain. And they're like, hey, this guy's been living with us. He's walked my dog. He's covered some shifts. (laughs) What's he going to say? And I remember that moment just asking for the Holy Spirit to guide me and I just said, hey, this is what I know. What I know is that Jesus Christ loves every one of you more than you can possibly know and that he has paid so much for you and wants relationship with you and he wants to transform you. He wants to take you to a different place. What I know is what he has laid out as plan for marriage and plan for sexuality. But I know that he loves you so much and that he's gonna take you to a place where you love him more than anything in the world if you would give him a chance. And those are not exactly the words I said because I don't remember. But I remember in that moment, the pause that came afterwards where I'm wondering, am I going to get thrown out? But they said, you know what, Nathan? Thank you for saying that. We trust you because you're here. We trust you because we've seen how you've cared for us and you're our friend. And then the party started back up. I think about that moment a lot and how I'm not perfect and I don't get it right and I was terrified. But there was a moment where I got to speak about the love of Jesus Christ and maybe, maybe it healed a little bit of the wounding and the hurt that they had experienced for years. I moved to Maslin, Ohio and um, there was a well-known family in the area. I was there to, to plant a church. And there was a, a guy who was there who, had, who worked with the youth. He had influence and skills. He was very cool. We went to conferences together. We learned. He had a big family uh, in the football town. They were an old football family within Maslin, Ohio. That's a big deal. Like there was a lot of influence here, which was really, really cool. Except something started to go weird. And, and I, to this day, don't know the full extent of it. They started getting mad at the church, the sending church, and at me. They started to accuse me of certain things and, and lied about me and they did it in the most unhealthy way ever. They started talking to everybody else in the community. Their whole family, all of these individuals, all kind of felt the same way. And then I confronted them and said, hey, what's going on? And they like were antagonistic. And then they're like, we're out, we quit. And we were in contract to buy a house from them. And uh, the house literally was, there was like five or six houses on this street. And two of them were theirs. And the other one was right around the corner. And I remember saying like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to move into this house and live with these people who don't like me, who have problems with me, who have left the church. This is not the way that I want to start. It felt like the gift of the home had been soured. And I remember just, I was really emotional about it, Jen and I, because we had a chance. We could choose to back out. I just prayed and I felt God saying, move in, move in. I'm like, oh. I don't want to. I don't want to wake up in the morning and go out to my car and feel awkward. I don't want to have to have the weird conversations. I don't want, I just, I don't want to do this. It's a distraction. God said, do it. I said, okay. Because when God says do it, you do it. It's a good rule. It's really profound. Verse 21 of John 13. Now hear me, I'm not comparing myself in the same scale as what I'm about to read, but just listen. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. 
His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining next to him. So Simon Peter motioned to John and said, ask him which one he means. I love Peter. (laughs) This is funny. Leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. Hmm. Powerful. What would it have been like to be Jesus? To know Judas? To know who was going to betray him? Not only that, to live life with him? To call him to follow him? To you know, as he's sorting through all the people, keep him in the inner circle to trust him with the money, to trust him with his life. What would it be like to love and fight for Judas when you know what Judas is going to do? Judas, ah, Jesus' love for Judas literally led Jesus to the cross, to suffering and pain and death. What is it like to love someone who's going to betray you? We must minister and love people even if they betray us. That is what Jesus has called us to do. I have learned this lesson again and again and again. I've had to serve people who are in the act of going behind my back. In this, I get to have a cross-shaped life. In this, I get to love like Jesus. In this, I get to love people no matter what. They do. And it doesn't get easier at all. The more I've had to do this, the harder in ways it has gotten. But to love like Jesus is very hard to do. But it's beautiful. We get to do that. And you will never fully know the heart of Jesus or experience the kingdom and what he wants to do in you unless you love them. So for three years, it was awkward. For three years, it was weird. And then I got a phone call. And this guy, the last time we had talked, it went horribly, and I was hurt and upset, called me and says, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, great, what's next? And he took me out to breakfast. And he says, you know, listen, I was sitting across the street in my brother-in-law's house, and we were talking about how the next church that they had went to, there was problems and there was issues and, and it was ever, and they were talking about why the church couldn't get things right and they were frustrated and they were talking and they were jogging back and forth and if they could just do it this way or that or the other. And, and he said, and now and my brother-in-law stopped me and he says, you know what? You know, I remember when we were having trouble with Nathan in that church. I remember that. And I remember now that for the last three years, Nathan has been nothing but kind and caring and loving patient. I don't know why he did that, but perhaps the problem isn't with these churches, but with us. And so he had called me that morning to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. And my jaw is just on the floor because I didn't understand how God could bring that kind of transformation back. I don't feel like I did it well. 
I don't feel like I was great at it. But to experience that, it was beautiful. And here's the thing. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We need to remember this, that God can restore and make anything new again and again and again. And if I hadn't been there, I would have missed out these amazing opportunities. One of my favorite conversion stories, one of my favorite moments in France uh, to this day was someone who was across the street that if I hadn't moved in, it wouldn't have happened. I remember one day, it was a Sunday and uh, th- this man, he, um, he came over to my backyard. He's like, hey, can I, can I come talk to you? And he was across the street. He wasn't a believer, but he was kind of going to our church and whatever. And he came across the street, and he comes into the backyard, and he has a weed whacker. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing Like with the weed whacker? He's like, oh, oh, sorry. He puts it down. He goes, I just lied to my wife and told him I was out uh, weed whacking. So I came over to, so I can come over to talk to you, pastor. And I'm like, maybe don't lie to your wife <laughs> about that. And I said, what's going on? And he's like, listen. I kind of knew during the message today because I was here that, it, that it's time. Now, this man, he had watched his, uh, his wife get baptized. He had watched his uh, son get baptized. And uh, they had pulled him on stage while he was, they were reading their testimony to stand next to him even though he didn't believe in Jesus. And I just remember watching his family. I have pictures of him at baptisms, watching his family on New Life Sundays. And just like, he's wrecked. Something is going on inside of him. Well, he comes over and he's like, listen, it is time. I need to follow Jesus. He's been chasing after me like crazy, and I'm done running. Let's do this. And I said, all right, let's do this. So we prayed, and, and, we, and it was powerful and amazing. He's like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, the first thing you need to do is go home and apologize to your wife for lying to her and tell her that you just accepted Jesus because she's been praying for years. And that man, he, he was amazing. Within two days, he had already gotten this huge cross tattoo with like the date of when he was transformed. And then on that next Sunday, he got baptized. Like it was like saved on Sunday, tattoo on Wednesday, getting dunked on Sunday. It's powerful. I don't suggest that when you get a tattoo because of the water, but powerful story. And I would have missed it. I would have missed it. Worth it if it was only that, worth it if there was no resolution to the other situation. Third and final story happened in that same place. Another story I would have missed. Got a phone call on a winter's morning. The snow was falling in these huge flakes, just big. I pick up the phone and someone who lived around the corner is like screaming hysterically into the phone. And through the frantic cries, a pit starts forming in my stomach because I feel it, like there's a dread. There's this bad news, something is coming that's not good. So I immediately got into a car, and, and I walked into the house, and, and, and I came in about 10 minutes after they had found out that her brother, uh, an army vet, helicopter pilot, hundreds of sorties in Afghanistan, on a routine helicopter flight in the middle of winter, crashed and died. I remember just seeing the anguish on her face as I tried to help her because she was falling apart trying to get her husband to come home and, and trying to figure this all out. And I just saw the pain and I looked over and I saw the two, her two children, like seven and five, and they're, they're, they're confused and they're sad because they were so close to their uncle and they don't understand what death is and they don't understand what's going on and they're watching their mother fall apart and they're just like, what is happening and so they start asking her question after question, and she, you know, in her grief, snapped at him and shut him down. And then they're trying to figure stuff out, and I just watched. I watched their face, and I realized, ah, oh, they're never going to forget this moment. They're never going to forget this moment as long as they live. What I don't want for them to have happen 
is to see the weakness of their mother and translate that to anything. So I just, I just took them aside and I sat them down. I got down on their level and I looked them in the eyes and I said, listen, this is, this is sad, this is hard. Your mother's in a, in a difficult place. And then I talked to them about their uncle and I cared for them and then I cried with them. And then their husband came home and I left. You see, those are the moments. The moments that matter so much to be there when people are hurting because grief isn't supposed to be done alone. You need a community because in that weakness, you need someone to step in and love like Jesus loved. Verse 32 of John 11, Lazarus has died. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and said, Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, and Jesus wept. You see, Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. Jesus had waited because he knew that Lazarus would die. He waited. He knew what he was going to put them through, but he knew the joy he was going to bring him to. But when he came, he didn't push his emotions down. He just wept because people he loved were hurting. If you don't know anything about Jesus, and all you know is that he weeps with those who weep, that's maybe all you need to know. Jesus, that verse, two words, maybe the most profound, that the God of the universe would weep because you are hurting. Listen, I, I think these moments are so crucial, these moments where there's great grief, that we get to be part of them is, is one of the greatest honors in the world. But I'm also reminded of how many people don't have that person, don't have that person to go to. I was just talking to my neighbor down the street, and we were talking, and as pastors do, uh, I can't help it, Re conversations move towards religious things. <laughs> And he was talking about how he had an experience with someone that he, he cared about, a friend who had gone through some suffering and really painful stuff and had no one to turn to but him and him just kind of feeling like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how, I don't have anything to hand him. I don't have anything to give him. I don't know what to do. He's hurting. And I just said, hey, you know, if that ever happens again, I'm around, but I just want you to know that if you are ever hurting, if anything happens to you, if you're confused or whatever, I'm here. I'm here. And we don't realize what a gift it is to be that person for people. And if we choose not to engage in this, we, can't, we won't be positioned to be that people, that person. Three stories. Three stories of Jesus. Why do I share this? Why did I choose the hospitality one to talk about this? So I was going to prepare and preach a message that I wanted to get you to, to invite people to come to your home, to have dinner with them, to get to know your neighbors. I still want you to do that, but it just felt kind of hollow for me because that's not actually what I want for you. I want you to do that, yes, but I want something beyond that. I want there to be stories like this in your life, stories where you show up and you're the light of Jesus Christ in their community, and it only happens through relationship. It only happens by showing up and caring and going where others won't go and loving those who don't love you and being present and available. 
And so I didn't preach that message. I preached this message because I want you to see yourself in God's story, to see that God is going to use you to transform people's lives in those moments because you have created a relationship and you have cared for them well. You see, hospitality is just the first step. It's not so you can be, have people who are projects. That's not what I mean. But like they need to know that you're there. They need to know that you care and that you love them so that you can be Jesus in the moments where they need him. Because there's so many people who go through these moments alone where Jesus is weeping right next to them, but they don't know because no one's being Jesus for them. See, hospitality is running after the stranger. So what do we do? Life is not about barbecues and kids' parties. It's about bonfires in the backyard. Life is about being there for people when the marriages are strained, that the kid's in the hospital and may not make it, or when the kid doesn't make it. When there's divorce and pain and when people lose loved ones, that's why we're here, to love them well in it. But it takes vulnerability and it takes availability and it takes seeking people out and it takes you removing your comfort and embracing the cross. But it's powerful. It's beautiful. Some of you have these stories. Some of you don't. But God wants to use you. So my invitation to you is to choose to get, take the next step that God is going to give you. I have an invitation as well for those who were moved by my stories, moved by the stories of Jesus where God's just speaking to you and he's saying, I, I want to know you. I want relationship with you. I want you to encounter me. And you may need to make that decision today. And so I want to help you do that. But first, all of us have something to do in this moment. So would you stand with me? All of us, stand. Prepare for what God's going to do next. The work that he began at the beginning where the Holy Spirit's breaking some things down is continuing. So I want everybody in the room, if you feel comfortable, to open up your hands or close your eyes. Open up your hands. Why? Because you have to give something up to open up your hands. You have to open yourself up. But I want you to do that, even if it's just small, just a little bit or big. And I want you to accept the invitation of God to go be the torchbearer in the community. I want you to be thinking about what God is going to call you to, the people, the names, so that you can love them well. And for those who want to start a relationship with Jesus, want to follow him, I want you to talk to him in this moment. Your hands are open because you want to receive something, but they're also open because you're offering something. And what you're doing is you're offering to God your whole life. You're offering him everything. So tell him that. As we're praying in this moment, I want you to tell God right now, I offer you my life out loud or in your heart. I offer you my life. I offer you everything. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you know you need him. That without him, you'd be lost. Tell him that you accept and receive into those hands Jesus' life, his sacrifice for you. Because he loves you and he's running after you. Tell him you accept that. And tell him that you'll follow him the rest of your days. And that you will bear a torch of his love and justice into the world 
as you reclaim your identity in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Hey guys, welcome back. What a what a great message. I hope through those three stories, both of, of Jesus and of uh, Pastor Nathan's own personal experience, you saw a picture of what biblical hospitality looks like, what cross-shaped hospitality looks like. Uh, I hope you find opportunities this week to practice that kind of hospitality, uh, not for the purpose of, you know, hosting dinner parties or um, any of that, but for the purpose of being Jesus for somebody just like Pastor Nathan illustrated. Uh, be on the lookout for those opportunities. If you're going through anything, uh, let us know. Um, we'd love to pray with you, connect with you. You can fill out a connect card, let us know your prayer requests or, or just uh, what you have going on. Uh, fill that on our now page. Um, but we'd love to uh, come around you and encourage you um, and, and help you know that you belong in this community of God. But have a great week. Um, I hope you have many opportunities uh, to bless others with your hospitality. And we will see you next week. Bye.